Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, this is the uh, 27th and uh, final sermon in our sermon series on the book of Genesis, uh, chapters 1 through 11. And this evening, our text is Genesis uh, chapter 11, verse 10 through chapter 12, verse 3. Now, for the guests who may be joining us this evening, last Sunday we studied chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the narrative of the Tower of Babel. And we, we saw how God's plan of preservation in the genealogies of Genesis 10 was set in contrast in building uh, this tower to heaven. Babel is a a dark mirror that reflects the unconverted heart, becomes for the remainder of Scripture the symbol of the unregenerate heart. There is no middle ground. Babel shows us that the heart that remains unregenerate cannot turn to God of its own power. It's compelled. It must work to displace God. It must replace him with our own imperial self. Now, the narrative of Babel is also all about how God responds. What does God think? What what does he do? So, in a careful play of similar-sounding words, of rhyme and alliteration, Moses reprises the animus, let's call it, of of the Garden of Eden. In other words, what drove our first parents in their failed attempt to grasp power apart from God. Just like Eve's desire for the tree and its fruit in disobedience, the tower builders attempt to exceed proscribed human limits that God has set in disobedience. Both accounts also focus on God's concern about what will happen to us because their sin could not exist within his presence there. Our Heavenly Father drove out our first parents from his presence in the temple garden. And here in Babel, he knows how an unbridled and sinful human heart will destroy humanity in sin and violence and pride. So he disperses the people of Babel. He confuses their language, a verbal confusion which reflects the restless, mixed-up confusion in the soul that does not find rest with God. God's mercy and his judgment is one that brings restraint and preservation. But God's promise remains. It is his promise and his alone which brings hope for the future. And this is the scope of our study this evening. We have seen sin's consequence in disintegration and confusion and delusion. We live in a time, a unique time for all of us in living memory, of confusion, of disillusion, anxiety, and fear. Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for the future? How can life go on now? Well, our study in Genesis 11 and 12 answers two questions. 
these specific ones, hope for the future, how life will go on. We track from Noah's son, Shem, to Abram. It reveals how God again took steps to save his people, preserving the line of Shem through one man. Parallel, isn't it, to the way God had done it through one man in his use of Noah. And once again, doing it through one man's faith and hope in God's sure and certain promise to save. So let's look at this now a little more carefully for a moment. God's plan for Father Abraham. Now we have seen already how God's promised blessing was to give to the descendants of Shem countless blessing. It still remains. It's recorded here in this genealogy. This is the line, you see, of hope for humanity. It's been to be a counterpoint to the earlier genealogy we saw of Seth in chapter 5, which names ten generations from Adam's son Seth to Noah. Here, we also have ten generations from Noah's son Shem to Abram. Do you see how Moses cleverly uses the structure here of the genealogy to underline this for us? And these two together record a total of 20 generations from Adam to Abram. Now, what makes this genealogy different? We've looked at the similarities now and what Moses wants us to see. So what's different? Well, I think the most notable difference is the absence of the refrain, and he died, and he died, and he died, that we saw over and over again in chapter 5. We saw how in that genealogy it stressed that death prevailed. But here it's different. In Genesis 11, it stresses a movement away from death toward the promise of God. After the opening formula, these are the generations of Shem in verse 10. We are taken through the generations to Terah, the father of Abram, in verse 26. Now, did you notice the other difference? Do you notice how the lifespans are gradually shortening? The children are being born when the father is young to you and me. In other words, a normal age for today. Now, why, why would Moses want to underline this? Well, on the one hand, it's, some have suggested that it's because, well, this is the cost of sin over time as the length of time shortens. But I think he's doing something else for us. He's, he's playing a theme here to preface the importance of what's going to follow the importance of this work of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because we come to learn later how Sarai is barren. And when you go further into Genesis to chapter 17, you find out how Isaac is born when Abram is at the unexpected, but now, get this, now very old age of a hundred years old. It's a miracle, isn't it? God's working. 
Now, do you also notice how this genealogy, the last one we'll look at, the spread of nation across the known world is taken up again from chapter 10, but is narrowed down immediately to Shem. The promised line of the son of Noah's blessing here. All the known world is undergoing confusion and alienation from God or from another. But notice here, Moses is saying, now look everyone, pay attention. God is quietly, resolutely working out his purpose and his plan to save you. The God who's concerned all about the nations and so bridles their depraved hearts in judgment, he's the same God whose purpose for all the nations is to be worked out through his covenant with one particular man and his descendants. So we see, as the genealogy comes to a conclusion, how hope is here. Moses has shown that God's promise to Eve of a seed who will crush the head of the snake will not be thwarted by the confusion, the scattering of the nations. Even though the seed was scattered from Babel, God preserved ten generations, ten specific generations from Noah to Abram. Now this, my dear friends, we know, don't we? This is the great principle of God's electing grace. God's plan for you and for me is linked to his blessing of one man, Abram, who came from the line of Shem through Nahor and Terah and finally to Father Abraham. You see, genealogies have this wonderful function. Their importance is not only to look back from Noah to Seth to Adam, but forward through Isaac, Jacob, down the generations to David, and on through David's family tree to one called Joseph, engaged to Mary, who gave birth to her firstborn son in Bethlehem in the days of Caesar Augustus. This genealogy is the link between the era of our study these past months to the era of the patriarchs, their families, with which the rest of Genesis is concerned, that brings us ultimately before the throne of grace ourselves. Now, the family history of Terah, Abraham's father, is told in 11, 27 through 32, it mentions Abraham's brothers, nephews, and some of the women in his family. But there's only one who has a significant qualification, and that is Abraham's wife. Sarai is barren. This is that great gospel reality, isn't it? Moses is preparing us for God's wonderful provision, a hope that seemed dead to Abraham and his wife. From them a great nation would descend, and that the birth of their son would be a miracle, and through whom the blessing would come. This is precisely 
where Paul, the Apostle Paul, zeroes in in Romans chapter 4 when he speaks of the faith and hope of Abraham. This is what he says in verses 18 through 21. In hope, he, meaning Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Do you see that? But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. My dear friends, that's the great question for us, isn't it? Are you fully convinced? Do you rest in the arms of your Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you convinced that God has done for you what he promised Abraham on the cross of Calvary? Let's consider that hope now. Father Abraham's hope. You see, faith and hope, this is how Moses continues the story of God's plan to save you and me. And is this a word we need today at this time? I mean, hope, faith is in short supply. Anxiety reigns when this virus strikes regardless of class or wealth or, or fame or race or belief. So I want you to remember where we are today. I mean, how can you forget? And consider where Moses has gently brought you this afternoon in the scriptures. Because it is in the scriptures that we find hope, isn't it? At the end of the narrative of Babel, we are left without hope. Moses stressed again and again in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that there is no hope for sinful you and me outside God's gracious blessing to save. So let's just for a moment pick up the story of Abraham in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. I want to read it again, what Frank read to you a moment ago. I want you to listen for the word bless, all right? Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed five times. Five times in three sentences. Our Heavenly Father speaks of blessing. Our Heavenly Father speaks that he is the author. He will provide this unilaterally. That's his guarantee. 
Now there's an echo here of the blessing on our first parents at creation. The blessing of Noah and his sons when creation is renewed after the flood. In other words, here's a new beginning. Now, I want you to track with me for a moment as we look back over the course of our study in these chapters, because I want to show you how the blessings to Abraham counterbalance some of the judgments and curses we have studied. The ground was cursed in Genesis 3.17. Abram is promised a land to possess in Genesis 15.7. Cain was cursed and became a wanderer. Abraham, the wanderer, is given a home. Cain, the Nephilim, the builders of Babel all sought to make themselves a name in sin and violence, rape and death. But God says to Abraham what? I will make your name great. Cain will build a city in the land of restless wandering. And migrants who move east to build one at Shinar both discover the same truth that all sinful men and women learn and what Hebrews 13:14 tells us that here on this earth we have no continuing city but Abraham Hebrews also tells us look forward to the city which has foundations whose builder and maker are God I will do this I will do this I will do this yes the families of the earth are all scattered in Babel. In Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we come to the end of our study in Genesis with God's blessing ringing in our ears. It's such a wonderful thing. Because the story in Genesis 1 through 11 has also pushed us to ask questions. What hope can there be for a world as beautiful and yet as ugly, as organized and still chaotic, as full of potential in love and self-sacrifice, yet poisoned by sin, by selfishness, disease, and death? What hope is there for a people who have abandoned God and have thereby abandoned one another. Can we, as God's image bearers, be restored? We have our answer here. Over and over again in Genesis 1-11, through 11, we have our answer. God is always working to gather his people, to pour out upon them eternal life with him. He bridles our sinful passions in loving judgment. He covenants with us to guarantee us an assurance the world can never give. And so we see how the Lord of life is at work in Abram. Through him all the families of the earth can receive life, eternal life. So these last verses of our study resound with the great chorus of our salvation. The remaining chapters of Genesis and beyond it tell you and me that there is hope for God's world. It is through Abraham 
and those like him who trust the covenant promise of God that the world will be made new. The story is one of God's faithfulness that comes to its climax in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the second Adam. In him, the promise to the woman that the head of a servant should be crushed comes to fulfillment. He is the self-giving sacrifice of the Lamb of God. His shed blood sets aside the 77 times law of retaliation that we saw so tragically in Lamech. He bears the storm of God's judgment, the alienation of his curse. He knows that alienation of separation. Yet the scriptures tell us, the New Testament tells us that it is in Christ that the security of God's ark of salvation is provided. In him, the covenant of grace, God's grace, is sealed forever. In him, the gift of God's fellowship is offered freely. In him, all creation, you and me, who trust in him, will rejoice in hope and the glorious liberty of the children of God. In him, the blessing of Abraham comes to all the nations of the earth. In him, the new creation of healing and freedom comes to its completion, for he is the center of that new creation. The new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Lord Jesus Christ is our pledge, evidenced in his glorious resurrection and ascension that you and me who trust in him will gather with one voice to sing his praise. He is your hope and strength. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.